0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we do some general messing around, like we tend to do everything from Fitbits for dogs to why Sue has an envelope of hair. Plus, favorite show on TV right now, This Fool on Hulu, star and co-creator Chris Estrada joins us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And please, take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani.
1: Accident
0: Jacob. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. This is technically take three of this open. We've got a great guest today. It is Chris Estrada, who is the co-creator and star of This Fool, which is one of my favorite shows right now. And uh, yeah, this is early in the morning for us. And I've we've said this before, but like early in the morning, I am terrible uh so you know, eight o'clock in the morning is a fucking rumor to me. I I have no idea what happens at this time of day. But uh little little uh rusty and I've got it's like a friggin' construction site by my house right now. You say you can't hear anything, but I I hear hammering and people yelling out there and also anyway. Now now
1: when what time of the of the morning do they do this? Because isn't there kind of a uh an ordinance that you can't start you can't do any kind of construction or like lawn mowing or anything uh before a certain hour
0: I think they time it to start when we are doing the podcast like
1: they <laughs> make sure
0: that when we're doing the show that's when the uh the construction is allowed to go on so the, the timing is is excellent now you've been going through it you you've been going through it right now with uh can we can we talk about this well go ahead about Tom
1: um. No. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think he may be upset about it. Okay, let's I do. Not,
0: Let's not. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Instead, instead, So I've got a, I saw an ad this morning for, and we're we're dog lovers. You've got Tucker. I've got Sophie and Fredo. They've got a brand new dog Fitbit <laughs> called. It's Fi. I don't know if it's Fi or it's Fee or whatever. It's probably Fi. Now mm-hmm. who needs a dog Fitbit? Like my dogs go from the bed to the yard to dinner and back to bed. I can't imagine I need to know the step count for <laughs> Sophie and Fredo. Who does?
1: You know, it's just it's just marketing. It's just anything. You know what it is? Cuz they know how much people love their dogs. Yeah that they could come out with the most ridiculous product and people will buy it because they love their dog so much.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's true. Like like the, like the just like my dog too. I mean, my dog doesn't work out. <laughs> you know? And he didn't really work out even when he was younger. I mean, he's older now and he's still spry. But like you know, I've I've never seen like um like a little towel, like by like his bed, like he like wiped himself off after like some some like strenuous activity, towel, yeah. like a workout towel, you know. <laughs> um, it's you know it's it's the ridiculousness about something being flavored something or you know uh it's uh, like a doggy gluten free or you know it it's just they're know, taking
0: advantage of dog lovers.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So,
0: I, uh, this is, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I will one thinks I should definitely talk about this. So Fredo, uh, has, uh, what they call CHF congestive heart failure. And this is sort of a public service announcement. So one of the reasons he got it and he's doing fine and he's totally normal and he's bouncing around and you know, we're in, we're, we're going to get a few more years for sure out of Fredo cause he's super healthy. But one of the things that uh, the vet said is, and we've spent tons of money on fancy dog food, like, you know, like farmer's dog and all those kinds of fancy foods that you see advertised on TV. And so the vet says, uh, and it's a cardiologist, she says, the problem is it's a nutritional deficiency. And we're like, what does that mean? And they said that, uh, she said that dogs need to have grain in their diets in order to uh, stay healthy. And a lot of these fancy foods have no grain. They're just like straight up meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's no grain in it. So right. you know what she said to feed them? Purina 1. Wow. Just plain, flat out Purina 1.
1: But, you know, the the Purina 1 that you're talking about is not... The Purina one that I remember as a kid, like the Chuck wagon, you know, all that kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: right.
1: it's, it's actually, they have, a, because you, when you told me about it, I changed Tucker's food to that because I was like, it was like designer food. I mean, I was paying so much money for his food and the, um, what is it? Um, chewy that company yeah chewy. i was talking to one of their representatives and i said what is the deal with this food and she said they have really up their game and it actually is is one of the better um foods for dogs right now yeah we were it. like
0: we're, we're spending all this money on food and then the, the cardiologist says no just get purina one just get and i'm like yeah purina one had this weird reputation you're right about, you know, it's from China or something. And there's, I, I mean, I don't even know what's true about it. But it was, it seemed like low-end food. And now it's like the recommended food by our
1: cardiologist. Okay. Now you say a cardiologist. So your dog goes to specialists?
0: Yes. Fredo <laughs> goes to a specialist.
1: Well, that's, wow.
0: Dr. Ch- uh, Doctor Chapel over at uh, Access care in culver city that's so does he have like an
1: osteo too i mean
0: he does not he doesn't have an ear nose and throat guy yet (laughs) but frankly whatever it takes right i mean this is and, and i mean i don't know and we're lucky we both have means and you know all that stuff but i don't know that there's a number at which i would say to the cardiologist no like if freddie needed open heart surgery. I would say, all right, well that's what it takes. And she said it's gonna cost, I don't know, whatever amount of money. I'd be like, all right, that's what it costs. I mean, anything for Freddie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um I Tom and I are like that, I, I would I would say, but with certain things, and I know this is gonna sound you know, this is getting into like, you know, sounding kind of depressing, but like when our dog um Sam um had cancer, yeah, we we spent thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. And then she lived for a month, even with everything that we did. So if God forbid it ever happened again, I don't think we would go down the same road. And it's not, it's not like, Oh, we spent all this money and, you know, because we had it and we love our dogs and, you know, of course, but just that there there was really zero return. She, you know, she was not going to get better. Yep. You know, it was really us just, you know, wanting her to be around longer, but it, you know, the extension of her life didn't really, you know, it didn't really make a difference, you yeah. know? So I, I, it, in that particular situation, I, I, I wouldn't do it again.
0: Yeah. And I think Sophie, you know, Sophie went to the vet uh, last week, week before, and the vet said, and Sophie's 16 years old. So mm-hmm. eagles are supposed to live to 12. I think we're in bonus time with Sophie and she's healthy. She's a tank. She's just a tank. She's doing great. Um, and the vet said, well, we could do a blood test. And, and, you know, we said, well, what for? She's right. 16. We could do an echocardiogram. What for? She's 16. It's like, right. at some point, I don't, I don't ever want to. And I did this with, with a dog, my dog, Hollis, my beloved dog, Hollis, we, Kept him alive, I think, for us.
1: Oh yeah, totally. Which is,
0: yeah, but oh,
1: I'm, yeah. I mean, my dog Sam. She was she was so checked out. You know, she didn't want to be here anymore. It was really it, it was really yeah. It, it's always for the owners. Yeah, you know? it
0: is. It is. Um, so I wanted to ask you one more thing because this is probably going to air on October the thirty first or November the first, somewhere around there. We're recording it on October twenty seventh. Yeah. Do you know what Dia de los Muertos is?
1: It's uh, Day of the Dead, isn't it? Day of the
0: Dead. Yeah. Uh, It's big. If you've never seen the movie Coco, which is a Pixar movie, it's my favorite Pixar movie. It's about Dia de los Muertos and a little boy who crosses over into the other. So I'm a big, I hate Halloween. Like my neighborhood is so junked up right now. There's gigantic spiders and somebody's having a haunted house and that, that, cottony stuff is all over the bushes and yeah same same
1: i'm totally junky
0: right i I hate it it's cluttered but dia de los muertos is a big thing at my house so i am a keeper my mom would say i'm the keeper of the history in the family so Mm -hmm. in my house i have got the kitchen table that i grew up eating at when I was a little kid at my grandmother's house. We had it shipped in from Altoona, Pennsylvania after my grandmother passed away. Uh, I've got stuff like my dad's uh, business cards uh, from back when he was working for Eastman Kodak. I've got, my my grandfather was a salesman at uh, Beasley Ford in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I've got the nameplate from his office from back Mm. in the day. Um, I can sit and watch TV in my grandpap's chair. And I've got everything sort of put together in one spot. And I always light candles there on Dia de los Muertos uh, because it's a way to honor and keep their memories alive, which is the whole point of the day. So even though Halloween sucks, Dia de los Muertos is like a really, really cool date. Have you, do you save anything? Do you have anything from your parents or your grandparents or anything like that?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I have, I can think it's more stuff that was mine. Like I have like my baby shoes, like my first baby shoe. Right. Um, that was personalized. Um, my mother kind of oddly kept all of the kids, um, five kids first haircut.
0: Really? So Pictures. I have,
1: I have the actual hair in envelope. No way! Oh yeah, I do.
0: You have hair from your original haircut in I, an
1: envelope? I, 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 all the kids in the family, our first haircuts, she saved. That's
0: crazy.
1: Mm,
0: I've never even heard of that. And then, what do you so? You got an envelope of hair. What do you do with that?
1: I, I just have it, like you know, in do do you have, have it, it on display. Um. <laughs> yes, I have it on display. I have I have one of those box frames. <laughs> Come see my envelope of hair. Come, come, come see. <laughs> I know like, it's like a freak show in my house. It's like um, world's
0: largest ball of twine. Yes, and I and I, and I also have hair.
1: and I, and I also have some shrunken heads. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, you know, I the things I guess the things that I that I have like just you know things from you know my father was a, an interior decorator, so mm-hmm. there were some really cool things. Like I have this like great old it was a, a it's a um it's an old-fashioned um payphone kind of like a wood you know crank phone yeah and, oh, and, wow. and, and it was modernized you know and and so it does have a dial and it actually can work um but you know i i always had it like hanging up just as decoration right um, um but i'm trying to think uh, probably jewelry You know, more stuff like that. Like I, I have my, and I wore it for the longest time, but I I actually have to get it resized. I have my mother's original, um, her engagement ring Oh wow! that I modified, um, when I got married. So, so
0: that's, is that your,
1: that's my my engagement ring. Your
0: engagement ring now. Oh, that's, (laughs) that's really cool. That's really cool. So,
1: so, so stuff like that. And I had actually, I had an old rocking chair that was in my bedroom growing up Mm -hmm. and, um, And then when Tom and I moved in together, he just, you know, a a piece of, of one of the legs, um, broke off and it, it, but the rocking chair still worked, but it was, it was just, it just didn't really go with stuff in the house. And, and we weren't going to, you know, try to, you know, modernize it or anything. And one day he just looked at me and he said, we, this has to go. (laughs) And and I'm usually the one like, you know, (laughs) Like if we're if we're like going through and trying to like downsize, I'll be going through stuff and I'll say, Tom, do you want this? And he won't even be looking at me. And he says, No, throw it out. And I said, You don't even know what I'm showing you. you right. Know? Right. Um, and uh, I think he was kind of shocked when I said, Okay, you can get rid of it, because I am a lot more sentimental with keeping things. I'm
0: very sentimental. i I've got pictures yeah. of everybody in my I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm very sentimental. Now, is the envelope of hair, is it in <laughs> Is it in like a regular business envelope or is it a manila envelope? Like, is it a lot of hair?
1: No, no. It well, it's not a lot of hair because it was our first haircut. So we were babies. So it's it each it's a, yeah, like kind of like a greeting card envelope. <laughs>
0: now, do you have your family's hair? Like, do you have an envelope for everybody?
1: I have every kid in my family's hair. <laughs> <laughs> And and also, um, I don't actually have my portrait. But when we were kids, my parents um, had our portraits painted. <laughs> okay. So like when you came into our house, yeah, in our living room, dining room, it was like it was wrapped around. So you know, <laughs> my mother, my mother's my, actually my mother's portrait is really really beautiful. My, one of my brothers has my mother's portrait, and. Um, but my portrait is probably the worst portrait of all of them. Right. Um, It it just, it's not very flattering. Right. So everyone in my family has their, (laughs) their portrait and my brother, my brother um, has mine and he keeps on asking me, you know, do you want it? And I said, I do not want, I mean, I should probably just, bring it to my house just to have just for a joke, but it is so <laughs> ridiculous. And the thing that pissed me off about the artist. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my sister and I were dressed in the same um, blouse and it was hot pink. And like, I, I'm so not like a pink person and my sister's portrait, he changed her color to like, like a golden kind of like really pretty. Cause it matched her hair and, and, and the background And me, he kept me in the stupid pink shirt. Like, he never changed the color of mine. And it makes it even more ridiculous. So 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 you have a... Painting of yourself in your house? I, I I don't have it because my brother has it, and he keeps on asking me if what I the want it. hell does
0: it. your brother want a painting of you? No, no.
1: What happened was like after my parents moved, and then when my parents passed away, um, he was living in New York, and and um, I don't even know where I where I was. I well, I guess I was in New York, but for some reason he had. The portraits. He he like was in charge of the portraits. He just had them. And um and he sent them to he sent them to each of us. And he asked me if I wanted mine. And I, I said, No, it's ugly. I don't want it. It's just it's so cool. I
0: want to see a picture of it. Get your brother to take a picture of your I'll portrait.
1: I'll ask him. It's it maybe in storage somewhere, but if, if it's around, I'll ask him to yeah. take a picture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> what I like about this conversation is that it's very specific. (laughs) And that's one of the things I like about the show This Fool. We'll talk about it uh coming up. Our guest today is a stand-up who also has co-created and stars in one of the funniest shows on TV, flat out. It's called This Fool. Season one is now available on Hulu. Chris Estrada is here. Chris, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Hey Steve, hey Sue. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having me. Seriously, dude. So damn funny. This school is hilarious. Congratulations on the show, man. Oh, thank you. When when I hear
2: people say that they really think it's funny, and then I go, oh, like we did our job.
0: So I want to know how much of this is real. I mean, you're from South Central. Did you grow up with like a big family like this? You know, mom, grandmother, sisters. Is that based on you? yeah
2: yeah a lot of it is loosely and inspired by my life i grew up with uh grew up with a single mom grew up with my grandma grew up with two sisters uh had older cousins who were you know at one point gang members in and out of prison and yeah a lot of that i based uh a good parts of that i based on my life
1: so what how did how did the uh how did it come about where you said like what what was the moment where you said you know I, I really would, this would be great as a show. Or did somebody say to you, hey, this could be a show?
2: You know, it was more like somebody said, I was, a, you know, I am I am a stand-up comedian and I started as a stand-up comedian and I was just, you know, I've now been doing stand-up for nine years and stand-up doesn't pay until it pays. So for the first few years, you're just really doing stand-up at my open mics, doing shows uh, uh, on the road on the weekends, doing shows... During the week in Los Angeles. But, you know, in that meantime, you have a nine to five, and I was working at a warehouse. And I got a text from one of the showrunners of the show. He's one of the co creators as well, Jake Weissman. And he told me that him and his partners, Matt Inga Britton and Pat Bishop, who were also at all three of them at one point were stand up comedians as well. And I knew them from the stand up comedy scene in Los Angeles. I was literally unloading a truck when I got a text, and they were like, hey, uh, We work on, like, we're looking to produce stuff now. And they, previously to this show, they had a show on Comedy Central called Corporate. It was a really funny show, really funny dark show.
0: Yeah, such a great show. I love Corporate. It's such a
2: great show. We would just
1: talk. Steve and I were just talking about that before you came on because he asked me if I had seen it.
2: Yeah. Oh, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's on Paramount Plus now, but it's really funny. And they hit me up, and they were on their third season of their show, And then they sent me, he just sent me a text and said, do you have any ideas? Would you be interested in working in something? And, you know, I was working at a warehouse. So, yeah, I was definitely, I I, I go, I think I could come up with something. So I wrote back right away. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have some ideas, even though I necessarily did it. (laughs) We just met up later that week. And, you know, they said, why don't you do something that's slightly inspired by your life? Um, you You sometimes talk about it in your stand up and it makes us laugh in a way that we don't know that world, but you you know you make it accessible to us so let's work on something together and that's how that's how that germ of an idea started with that with those guys and then we started crafting it together and I
0: started implementing parts of my life into it so the executive producers a corporate. And then Fred Armisen is involved, and Jonathan Groff is involved, and I'm like, yeah. so I know Jonathan Groff from Broadway and stuff. How did how did he get involved, and how did Fred get involved? Oh, you know what? Different Jonathan
2: Groff. This is he, oh he, yeah, got it. Yeah. Different Jonathan Groff. He, you know what's so funny? This Jonathan Groff. He he he's a writer and the showrunner, but on his Twitter bio. He actually has not that Jonathan Groff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's so uh, funny. So yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you. Um, I I just stand it for a billion years. Um, oh, nice. And um, you know when you know the I I'm trying to remember. Oh God, I like lost my train of thought for a second oh, because no I wanted to tell you that I. Did it's stand early, up. by
0: the way, Chris. We we hardly <laughs> ever do shows this early, so we're oh, both
1: okay. running I a little it. bit
2: slow. Hey, I um, don't. I don't like being alive till 5 p.m.
0: <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen.
1: I know. Vampires. Um, so when 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 you're when you're doing stuff and it's about your life and was there ever and even like in your stand up, mm. how was your family about it? Because I know for myself there were certain things that's like, ooh, maybe I have to stay away from this. Yeah. Um, someone's gonna get pissed off at me. Um, it, it, have you experienced that?
2: Uh, no, not necessarily.
1: I, you know, when I
2: started stand up, I think the way I approached it, I, I think I was a little observational, but when I did have jokes that maybe related to my fam, some family members, I tried not to make them the butt of the joke. Like, you know, I tried to, it, and if I did, I'd made sure I was also the butt of the joke, you know, cause right. then I, it, so it sounds like you're just not shitting on your family or making fun of your family. So <laughs> It was uh, I tried to do it that way in, in that sense. So they never really got to they never really got too upset, which was good. And then um, when it came to the show, when I plugged in parts of the show, you know, when it comes to my mom, I think she was just relieved. I had a career. She was, <laughs> she, she, was just, she, was, she was just relieved that I had money. She was like, make fun of me how you want. I don't care as long as you have money and I don't have to worry about you. I think that was a relief for my mom.
1: I remember what I was going to say. So I was watching some of your stand-up, and it was when you were still working yeah. uh, at the warehouse and you 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 say um, this fool you, or you said, you know, hey, fool. I would think that that was the germ of coming up with this fool. Am I correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, you know, a lot of like in Latino L.A. culture, you say the word fool a lot. Uh, you you kind of cut the L. You say fool. Like, Ooh. hey, fool, how you doing? How you doing, fool? What's up, fool? You know, you usually cut the L. We we implemented the L just because we thought it'd be interesting to w- we know everybody might be confused if they saw no L, but <laughs> and if you see the L, you could kind of do a play on words like who's the fool of the show, the literal fool. And um yeah, that just comes from kind of street culture and just like street vernacular of L.A. You say fool a lot. Like, hey, what's up, fool?
0: <laughs> yeah, my uh, my Associate producer on my radio show. I work at ESPN. Is yeah. Mexican American. He calls me. I I am the fool on our yeah, show. Yeah, you're the fool. Yeah, <laughs> the fool. The they joke is on the me fool. a lot. <laughs> so you you mentioned you grew up in this environment where there were gangs prevalent, and you had family that wanted. Did you ever wind up, or or did you ever come close to becoming part of gang life?
2: Believe me, I was I was the last guy they wanted.
1: <laughs> so are you the, are you kind of like the guy in school? It's like the last to be chosen on the team. Uh, I, don't,
2: I <laughs> uh, at, at least when it comes to gangs, I I don't think I was considered. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I was looked at. I think I think you didn't I, fill out an application. Then at one point, I think I wanted to be one. But then they were like, no, no, no. Not you. Not you. Not you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think
2: I was not being considered, not being vetted. There was no.
1: <laughs> I, I had family
2: members that would not vouch for me. So this was <laughs> this was not a. No, they, believe me, they, they did not need me, nor did they want me. I mean, I, you know, when you're growing up and I, it, because of movies, I, there was an element when I was very young that I just thought it was cool. But then once I found out like, oh, you might go to jail or you can get beat. I said, you know what? I'm cool, man. Keep that stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a real... I mean, I'm sure there's not a real yeah. hugs for thugs, but are there organizations like that to help reform? Oh, ancestors? yeah,
2: absolutely. There's a lot of really, really great organizations um, all around, not just in Los Angeles, but all over the country. Uh, one specific that comes to m- specifically one that comes to mind, and that was an inspiration, was uh, Homeboy Industries. Homeboy Industries is an amazing nonprofit that I urge anybody to look up. If they have a few bucks, send them, you know, donate them five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you got. But there's this amazing organization that was started by this Jesuit Catholic priest named Father Greg Boyle that was started in the Boyle Heights neighborhood. And if I remember correctly, the uh, housing projects in Boyle Heights, he started it in Boyle Heights. And then throughout the years, his whole mission was to give people jobs. And if I remember correctly, their old model was uh, jobs, not jails. Hmm. And then, um, started an organization there to very, it's the biggest gang rehabilitation center in Los Angeles. I, I, I'm, I think probably in the country, they do a really amazing work. And not only do that, I, I think now it's not just about, it's not about jobs really. It, it is about jobs. It's about finding them employment and giving them job training. But also I think it's about rehabilitating them from within, you know, because I think oftentimes you might have a job, but that doesn't mean you can't fall back into a life of, you know, crime or addiction or whatnot. So, so I think they also focus on helping you, you know, rehabilitate yourself from within. But there's also a lot of other organizations around the country. I found out about this one called Cornbread Hustlers mm-hmm. in uh, in Texas, and what, apparently, what they do is they're, they they they're a baking program, and they help people former. Uh, Inmates, when they come out, they start working in their kitchens and they learn how to bake. There's another one, Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know. Have you guys ever had Dave's yes, Killer Bread? Yes, yes, Big inspiration. Dave's Killer Bread is based out of Oregon. Bakery that sells bread all over the world, whole wheat bread, delicious bread. And they, uh, they the bulk of their employment force is those who were formerly incarcerated.
1: Yeah, so, that's really cool. You know, there's a yeah. uh, there's a restaurant up in San Francisco, and I you know I can forget the woman's name who started it. But everyone who works in the restaurant, yeah, was, are are all former uh, inmates.
2: Yeah, former inmates. So yeah, this is this is definitely there's a bunch of hugs, not thugs, around the country, and a bunch of those places, those nonprofits, really inspired hugs, not thugs.
0: So interesting washington post article about the show that is incredibly complimentary in fact the headline reads uh the the headline reads it is a singular authentic depiction of south los angeles when you hear that how does that how does that make you feel oh i mean it
2: it really like blows my mind i reading that it, it just you know what it is i work so hard in making this show feel authentic and also making it make it a Authentic. So the people that live there and where I grew up and who also live there, that they could feel like, wow, this show really captured what it's like to live down here, but also make it authentic and broad enough that people who across the country could watch the show and not be from Los Angeles and not be from South Central Los Angeles and still enjoy the show. So, you know, in the ways that Donald Glover did with Atlanta, you know, and so, yeah, really making the place, making sure that the location of the show also felt like somewhat of a character.
1: Yeah, when we were talking to Frankie, you know, saying mm-hmm. just the, the, you know, the authenticity of it, but also, you know, it's a world, and that's what I love about the show, is that a world that I know nothing about, except yeah. for what my my preconceived idea is of that world. And then you put the levity in it, which is something that you usually don't connect with gang life, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and, and the writing is so great. There, there was that one episode and I, this, this moment really just resonated when the homeless guy uh, gets caught stealing your recycling Yeah, that's and right. you tell him that you're also poor. And he says, you're not poor. You're broke.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> that, uh, that was such a thing. I was happy. I, I was really proud of that because I wrote that line and uh, I wanted to make like a class distinction, you know, cause the, the show is about working class people. And I didn't, I didn't want to look at the show through the lens of race. I wanted to look at it through the lens of, of class. And, you know, and I think the one thing all across people of different races across the country share is a lot of us are working class. Uh, you know, I was at one point, I was unloading trucks, I was cutting lawns, I was doing gardening and I was working in retail. So a lot of us come from this working class background and that's the thing we can share. We know what it's like to be working class. And it was really, I, that was... That was uh, inspired by a thing that happened. Somebody was stealing my mom's recycling collection. And for people who don't know, if you live in L.A. and you're working class, you recycle for money, not for the earth. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. You go to the recycling center after a few months, you collect a bunch of bags, and suddenly you have 50 to $75 in, in cans. And uh, that's, there was a guy in my neighborhood who actually goes by the name of Peanut. Pina is this local homeless guy who was stealing or recycling and stealing all the neighbors recycling. And I came out one time and I caught him and I said, all right, you can't take any more. You can take one bag, but that's it. And then like we had this conversation about me being us being poor. And he was like, you're not poor. I'm poor. He goes, you're just a broke, you know, mother effer. And this. that's great. That's great.
0: Yeah. That's what I like about the show. It's specific. Like yeah. it's, it's a specific world. These are specific characters. Um, and there's nothing, it, it's like a world we don't know at, I, I don't know at all. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm a white guy who lives in West LA. I don't know very much about, yeah. uh, about South Central or what it's like to live there, but that, that being specific is I think what makes the show different from a lot of stuff on TV
2: yeah absolutely. I think we just wanted to get down to the specificity of like things like that like you're not broke you're you're not poor, you're broke like those kind of things that like sound quotable and that you understand right away you understand oh there's a difference between being working class and being poor on the streets you know and the fact that the mom in that the mom is a janitor and she steals toilet paper from her job
0: <laughs> Now did your mom actually do that?
2: Oh uh, the worst I I'm still <laughs> No I'm,
1: still,
2: <laughs> I'm still, shafted by it. I'm still surviving. <laughs> and so she, she was a, she was a janitor for years. She just retired earlier this year, and um, she would save money by bringing supplies from her job that she would steal. And she would steal just the worst, worst toilet paper. I mean, it <laughs> it's sandpaper. We were brutalizing ourselves for years.
1: Well, I, I love the whole prison connection too when uh, when when uh, Luis tries to trade like cigarettes, <laughs>
2: yes, yes, with the grandmother, yeah, yeah, with the grandmother. yeah,
0: that's classic, that's yeah. classic.
1: so it, we had Frankie
0: Kenyonis on last week. Was he always going to be the guy? Was he the guy that was going to be Luis all along or was that an audition? How'd that work?
2: You know, not necessarily. He's the perfect guy for it, but when we were when we were auditioning people the first thing we were looking at we were looking at the role a little more on the nose like we were thinking of a really big guy who's like maybe as tall as me or taller who's super buff and tattoos all over his face and whatnot but what you find is a lot of those guys who who are actors but also have that look and maybe come from that world they don't have comedic timing they're good actors they're phenomenal actors they can be great actors they just, maybe they don't come from the world of comedy. So there's not comedic timing in there. We were having a hard, we were having a hard time finding a guy like that. And then we're all, I was friends with Frankie. Cause he used to take me on the road with him. And I used to go on the road and open up for him. But he's a dear friend of mine's and the showrunners, Jake, Madam Pat knew him as well from the comedy scene. And one day we just said, we should ask Frankie. And we saw his audition and he brought, he brought like a Joe Peshiness to the character, where it's <laughs> like where he's like, and, and you know what? Also, the truth is, gang members. There's a lot of gang members that aren't super tall and buff, and t- who look like Frankie, who look like you know, who, who can, you know, give him a bald head, and and he, they look just like Frankie. So he gave it a more human feel, but not only that, he he just brought a lot more levity to the character because. We want, ma- we wanted the character to feel like Joe Pesci in a way, once he, he embodied that where he go, this guy can joke with you and make fun of you, but you understand you- we wanted him to have a feeling that he can turn quickly and hit you with a baseball bat.
0: Yeah. You
2: yeah. Know? And I think, I think Frankie brought that to that character and also just Frankie's so incredibly talented and he brought a vulnerability to the character as well. I mean, I just can't, he, him and Michael Imperioli, I was, uh, were amazing to work with.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but I just want to say one thing about Frankie. Yeah. To me, he's, he's like a lovable knucklehead,
2: you know? that's No, that's exactly <laughs> it. He's a lovable knucklehead. You're, <laughs> you're absolutely right.
1: And, and I love the chemistry between you guys. And look, you know, I know that you're friends, so that doesn't yeah. hurt. But I, I kind of looked at you guys at, at, like a, like I, I was saying to Frankie, like a wily Coyote and Roadrunner, yeah. you know, kind of relationship. It's like, oh, don't, you know, it's like just, oh, God, like another fine mess you got me into kind of a, a situation. We're
2: kind of smacking each other, getting <laughs> each other in headlocks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: So I wanted to ask you about Michael Imperioli. Was yeah. he, um, was he somebody that was, uh, that, that was on your radar to play that role?
2: Yeah. We were we were told to by Hulu to offer it to someone of note, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because essentially like Frankie's established, but we're a little more under the radar as a cast. And they wanted us to give this role of Minister Harold Payne, uh, Leonard Payne to this, um, to someone of note. And names started floating around. And I took a, I was walk, took a walk one evening with a friend of mine. And he, I was telling him, who do you think we should offer it to? and he said you should offer it to Michael Imperioli and i was like there's no way he would ever do this like mm-hmm. I, that was just my first thought he wouldn't do this and then he goes you'd be surprised i bet you i bet you he doesn't get as off- like he doesn't get as offered as many comedic roles as you would think and he might want to do it cuz he's sopranos has an element of comedy to it like he's done a lot of different types of work so we took our chance and we said you know what let's offer it to him and I thought, this is a long shot. We're probably going to hear, we're going to get an email from his agents that he's passing on it. But in a matter of days, we heard, hey, he wants to meet with you guys. And we met with him over Zoom. And it was just, it was amazing. He was like asking us questions about it. And then he said, all right, I'm, I'll do it. After like having a 30, com- 30 minute conversation with me, Jake, uh, Jake Weissman and Matt Engabretsen and Pat Bishop. And he just said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So it w- it was amazing. I mean, I you couldn't have asked for a better person.
0: We've had Michael Imperiali, Imperiali on the show. He is so smart. I mean, he's uh, so uh, I mean, I, I think he. And I don't even remember all the stuff. I think he wrote uh, stories like Gabriel Garcia Mar- Marquez and yeah, he, uh, classical music and I mean all kinds of stuff. He's a he's a true he's artist. He is. He's a real yeah. artist. Yeah, and it must be a pleasure to have him on the set.
2: Oh, it, insane. It, you're just, in, you're both intimidated and inspired. Like, he is.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm no, sorry. no,
2: you go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going
1: to say, he is such a Renaissance guy. You know, a, a little while ago, I actually created a show for him, like, yeah. a, like a travel kind oh, of no show. Way. And it was, it was actually called The Art of Living. And because he does everything. He cooks. He has a band. He writes. Yeah. He does. He does martial arts. He does. There's not one thing that this guy doesn't do. And um, yeah, he's he's really incredible. And and you know what? We you know we interview a lot of actors. And um, when I when we've asked them, when you get a script, what is the most important thing about? Or, or when you take a role, what's the most important thing? Um, is it the director? Is it who else is in the show? Is it where it's, you know, is the location? And they always say the writing. Yeah. And that's the one thing. uh Well, one of many things about your show, that's wonderful, but that really, really stands out in the show.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. We, we take really great pride in the writing. Like that's a thing, me and the guys from corporate who created the show, we just, that that's what we love doing the most is we love hunkering down and writing and creating these characters and creating a show that feels specific, but in a way that anybody can watch, you know, you don't have to be Latino to watch the show. You don't have to be from South Central to watch the show. You don't, you don't even have to be working class to watch the show. Like we just, it's making it in a way very, almost so specific,
0: it becomes broad. You Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think it's it, it is specific, but I think it's accessible to everybody, anybody, which is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah,
2: and that's what I think good good comedy does, even good stand-up comedy. I think good stand-up comedy, good good comedy, good TV writing is very specific, but broad at the same time. So this
0: fool is the first time you've
2: acted, right? First time. I mean, besides that, I did a few little sketches. Sometimes like with friends, but this is the first time I'm really, really acting.
0: And you're great. You're natural. Thank you're you. really fun. You're very real. Did you have any hesitation about uh, including actor on your resume?
2: Oh, believe me, I when <laughs> when I, I'm such a self-doubting a-hole that when we were writing this, they said I I asked the guys. I said, so who should we get to be this guy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I it never. It,
2: it never occurred to me. And then they looked at me and they go, well, you. And then I said, and then I said, this is based off of you. I, uh, I'm i assuming you can be yourself to an extent. <laughs> and then I just said, are you sure? And they were like, and a big inspiration was that they were first time actors when they were in corporate, in comedy, on corporate, on Comedy Central. And they said, look, if we can do it, you can do it. And then I, I met up with an acting coach who was phenomenal. His name is... Uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, John Rosenfeld. And he just, he really sat down with me and had the patience to deal with, <laughs> with an untrained knucklehead.
0: <laughs> so what do you know about, cause we're huge fans. What do you know about a season two? Are we going to get a season two of, uh, of this school?
2: Fingers crossed, man. I hope so. We're writing it right now, but the, uh, they greenlit us to write it, but they haven't greenlit production yet. And these companies, they have so much money they can just start you writing it and then make up their minds later. And But, you know, we have faith because the show is very critically well-received. And aside from being critically well-received, it seems to be doing very well. Yeah. And there's a strong word of mouth about the show. So I, I think it's looking good. I think we're going to get a second season. And I'm excited to do it. I just want to keep telling this. I want to keep telling the story of these two knucklehead cousins.
1: Yeah. And you know what? It's mm. so unique. I mean, Thank there's you. there's there's not you know, you can turn on the TV and you can see, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of like this, the, like the same subject. Yeah. in So many shows. This really stands apart from from anything I've ever seen, just because it's a world that that hasn't been explored.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's I, I think it's shot in a certain way that mm-hmm. like makes it very cinematic. The way we pitched the show, uh, we pitched it uh, the movie Friday but directed by the Coen brothers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So so that old South Central, that 1990s Ice Cube Friday movie, but directed by the Coen brothers in a way where it's like, let's take this aesthetic, this kind of offbeat cinematic aesthetic that's been, you know, popularized and created by the Coen brothers and apply it to this working class world of like South Central Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, the show is called This Fool. Season 1 streaming now on Hulu. We hopefully get a season 2 to come. Hey Chris, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Uh, again, congratulations on the show and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Sue. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. And there you have it. This pool cannot recommend a show more highly and what a what a nice guy he is, huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's 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 like the icing on the cake for me is that he is just a just a genuine nice guy. As Keonis, you know, as Frankie is, you know, I mean, you could totally you could totally see these guys just like hanging out like, you know, just in their lives.
0: Well, I mean, imagine it. He was working in a warehouse doing stand up on the side, but working in a warehouse when he gets a call from these guys and they're like, hey, we want to turn your life into a TV show. Um, it's it's amazing. The That's sort of the way it used to be, right? It, it used to be that stand up comics. I guess what in the '80s used to get their own shows based on their lives, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it started with uh, well, well, Seinfeld, Seinfeld. And then um, you know, well, Roseanne, yeah, and then um, Brett Butler,
0: Brett Butler, um, Ray she Romano, was a nightmare. Brett Butler was a nightmare.
1: Yeah, she's had some difficulties. Did you ever meet her? Oh, I know Brett. I know Brett. You and do I, you know I, Brett? And, oh yeah, yeah, and and I I actually really like Brett. Really? Um yes, I do. She was apparently
0: mean when they were shooting she, the show. She
1: yeah, she she definitely had a lot of difficulties. But um I've known her forever. I've worked with her. We were on the road together. Um and, and I I actually I actually do like her. Um but anyway, uh yeah, I mean that's basically, you know, that that was the goal, you know. But you also had to have the kind of persona that warranted doing a show. It wasn't just being a good comedian because, you know, not every comedian uh, makes it to uh, having a show done without them.
0: Sure. And it seems to happen less than it used to.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's neat that it happened here. I mean, I always think uh, the, uh, the Steve Mason show would be very entertaining. (laughs) It is very, uh, very specific.
1: You know, I, you know, it's getting awful late and I really have to go. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm sure you got to check on your envelope of hair. Um, uh, <laughs> there you have I it. There hope, is, I hope there's no hair out of place. There is today's Culture Pop podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And please take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. Sue, great to see you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast.